That's good. It's not even Eastern. You got it. Open God's words, if you would, to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2. So be prepared. I'll probably say that a couple more times this morning and appreciate the response that you gave. Because he is risen. He is. And that's what, that's what Peter is sharing with the people here in the second chapter of Acts. I'm going to start kind of like we did last week. I'm going to start with the, at the end and then go back and fill in the, fill in the blanks, all right? Acts chapter 2, verse 36 is the key to Peter's sermon, or the theme. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made Christ both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. Peter doesn't pull any punches. He said, this Jesus is the Messiah that the prophets have been telling you to look for, and he was here, and you killed him. You crucified him. I know last week we talked about sharing in that, although we we do know that the The Jews were the ones that insisted that the Romans crucify him. It was our sin that put him there as well. So we can't point the finger at the Jews and say it's all their fault. They they physically did it, but so did we. Our sins put him on the cross. Last week, we we just a a quick review. We looked at Peter, and and we looked at a, a little bit about his personality. What a milk toast, lame, weak kind of guy he was. What a dud. I'm getting a couple looks like, Pastor, you're nuts. He walked on the water because Christ called him and he came. And just like you and I, when he took his eyes off Jesus, he started to sink. And he looked and said, Savior, help. <laughs> So we need to keep our eyes on, on the Lord. And, and then when, when at the Passover, when Christ was washing the disciples' feet, Peter, he came to Peter and Peter said, No, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. And the Lord said, if, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. And, and just like the extreme kind of guy Peter is, he says, Well, then, Lord, give me a bath. Wash me head to toe, not just my feet. And the one that, that I can't believe I left out last week, when the Garden of Gethsemane and Judas betrays Jesus, who is it that takes the sword and chops off the ear of Malchus, the, the servant of the high priest? Good old Pete. Yeah. Never know, never know which, quite which side of the fence Peter was on. He was just kind of, no, no. And Jesus said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And he did. And then he wept bitterly because he realized that what Christ said happened. And at the the end of chapter 1 of Acts, Peter is used to to lead the group. There's 120, if you remember. Judas had to be replaced. And Peter's the one that leads the group to come to the Lord and, and reappoint one, one Matthias, so that there were the 12 disciples, so that in the millennium, when they need to sit on the 12 thrones, that there's 12 of them, not just 11. 
Okay? And then in the beginning of Acts chapter 2 here, we, after the Holy Spirit came, with the sound of the mighty rushing wind that got the attention of everybody, we believe it was around the temple grounds, the Pharisees came, the Sadducees came, along with at least 120, and I'm sure there were many more there because as we'll see next week, 3,000 believed. So we know there was quite a few there in the temple. But the, the, the attention getter was the, the, the fierce sounding wind. Drew them in. And we read in chapter 2, verse 5, there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven, and then it lists 15 different areas where they're from, several in Mesopotamia, and then Asia Minor, which is Turkey today, and then Egypt and that area, Cyrene and South. So there's a lot of men living, Jews, that had come back, and they were living in Jerusalem either to do business or they just moved back home once they were allowed to from captivity. But they were, they were bewildered, amazed, marveled. They continued in amazement, verse 12, and there was great complexity because they heard the gospel being preached in their native tongue, be it from Mesopotamia, be it from Egypt, be it from Cappadocia or Libya, wherever they were from, they were hearing God's word preached in their own language. How did that happen? They said these men are from Galilee. They're not learned men. But we hear each in our own language. So Peter, being the shy guy that he is, once again steps up. And he preaches the sermon that that we started last week. Verse, verse, uh, just back real quick, verse 13. But others were mocking and saying they're full of sweet wine. They, they must be drunk. That's kind of when Peter said, okay, enough. <laughs> you idiots have said enough. I'm going to stand up and tell you really what's going on here because you obviously aren't figuring it out. Verse 14, Peter took a stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. These men are not drunk. For it's only the third hour of the day. And then he goes in and he talks about Joel. He quotes Joel from verses 17 to 21. Where, where Joel talked about the ministry and the work of the Holy Spirit. And that it wasn't an unheard of thing. It wasn't a strange thing. It was something to be expected. There's a lot of... A lot of uh, you could get waylaid and sidetracked a lot there with uh, the prophecy there, but that's not the purpose of, of Peter referring back to Joel. The reason he referred back to Joel was to show that the, the Spirit, uh, verse 17 there, he says, I'll pour out, pour forth of my Spirit upon all mankind. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. The, the idea was that the Holy Spirit is going to work. And it's the same Holy Spirit that Joel was talking about. So now we get on to verse 22 today. He says, men of Israel, listen to these words. Okay, again, who's he talking to? He's talking to the men of Israel, but remember the setting. They're in the temple. There's a group of Sadducees there. There's a group of Pharisees. And then there's the disciples of Jesus. And there's probably other people there that are just curious because it's the the, uh, Feast of Pentecost. The high priest is going to be 
raising, waving the two loaves of bread as part of that feast, if we remember back to that, the Pentecost. And it was the purpose of, of the Holy Spirit coming then at that feast was to show that one, one loaf stood for the Gentiles, one stood for the Jews. But the Holy Spirit was going to combine them in one body of Christ. It was no longer to be separate. And, and the leaven in the bread was to indicate that no church is perfect. You know, we say if you find the perfect church, don't go, because you'll screw it up. Right? Any one of us would. Not pointing the fingers. Besides that, there is no perfect church, so don't waste your time looking. <laughs> Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. You've seen the ministry of this man the last three and a half years. You've seen what he's done. You know who I'm talking about. You know who he is. It's not just some story. You've seen him. You've seen what he's done. You yourself have been a witness to the works and the miracles that Jesus has been doing. God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. Did Adam and Eve's sin take God by surprise? Before the foundation of the world was laid, God had a plan. And thank goodness he did. Because we're sinners and we deserve hell. That's our wages. That's what we've earned. We deserve hell. Every one of us does. It's only through the work of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross that we have a hope. But what happened to him, God knew about before time and there was a plan. And just as God had a plan for his son, God has a plan for you. God has a plan for your life. No matter how insignificant you think you might be. You remember one of the first Lou Giglio videos that we watched, talking about the size of the universe and the planets. And I don't, I don't remember the exact numbers, but if you covered the entire state of Texas with golf balls two and a half feet deep, one of those little golf balls is the earth. And pick up that golf ball and find you on that golf ball because you're on there somewhere. And as big as God is and as big as his universe is that he's created, he cares about you. He has a plan for your life, a very specific plan for you. I don't even remember the context, but yesterday, if you think of it, let me know. Remember our conversation was that God knows how many hairs we have on our head. He's certainly going to care about other things in our life if he cares about how many hairs I got left. That's how well he knows you and you and you and you and you, every one of us. He knows you that well and cares that much about you to know you. And he has a plan for you. We're going to come back to that. But right now, he, we see in verse 23 that he had a plan for his son. 
And that plan included the Jews nailing to a cross by the hand of godless men and putting him to death. The Roman soldiers. That was his plan. As painful as it was, there had to be a way of salvation. Verse 24. Verse 23, you see the, the great crime. In verse 24, we see the victory. God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in his power. You know, there's little catchphrases that you that you learn in your life, and and, and there's there's words even with little kids that they first start to to catch on to that they that they like to say and they learn to say because it just kind of rolls off their mouth. This, this is one of these phrases for me. I just absolutely love the strength of this phrase. And you may say, okay, whatever, Pat, you're, you're out there. Since it was impossible for him to be held in its power, it was not possible for Christ to be held in the power of death. And it just doesn't say, oh, death couldn't hold him. But just the way, it wasn't, it, it, it wasn't just something that happened, it was impossible. It could not possibly happen that death could contain Christ. Not possible. No way. Satan thought he had it. He thought he had won. Guess what? Satan, you lost. And we'll talk about that too. Satan, your days are numbered. Your days are numbered. Jesus Christ won. Amen and amen. Jesus Christ won. God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death. 1 Corinthians 15. I'm going to turn there because I like 1555. I like a couple verses after that too that I want to read. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is in the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We win not because of what we do or can do. We win because of what Christ did for us. The sting is gone. We have a hope. When we lose a loved one that loves the Lord, yes, it's painful, but the sting of it is gone. We know that we'll see them again. It's not like they're just gone. That it's done. There's victory. There's hope in Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Satan didn't stand a chance. Doesn't stand a chance. God is victorious through his son, Jesus Christ. And he will be in in time to come in future events when Satan is done away with forever. His, His opportunity to roam the earth will be done. Jesus Christ is on the right hand of the Father and the Father sits on the throne. We have victory because of what he did for us. So men of Israel, you killed him. 
but God raised him again. God raised him again in victory. Verse 25. Peter, oh, I gotta mention this too. I was talking to Stephen right before the message this morning. I said, this is a really easy message to preach because it's Peter's message. It's already preached. All I get to do is reiterate it and, and point out a few things, but you know that, that shy, quiet Peter? <laughs> he didn't pull his, he, he didn't pop, pull any punches. He let it go full bore. I just I just appreciate the way that he preached. But you know, he he, he knows his audience, he knows who he's preaching to. And, and I find it curious because the remember the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were the, the educated ones. They were the PhDs in, in religion. They were the smart guys, supposedly. It was the Galileans, the uneducated one that, that God went to and called to be fishers of men. But Peter knows his audience. And so he's going back to the law. He's going back to the scriptures that they have that, that he knows that these men have studied and are very familiar with. That's why he called up previously Joel. He quoted Joel from 17 to 21 in here. And then the, the rest of our, our section today, we're going to try to get up through verse 36. He, he's bringing the Psalms in and David and quoting David a lot so that he, he's preaching to them a concept that they should have some idea about. It's not. It's not Greek to them. Um, it's not. It's not a. It's not a foreign idea or something they've never heard of. They they've read these scriptures. They've studied them. Verse twenty five for David says of him, and this is taken from Psalm sixteen eight to eleven. We won't turn there because it's right here. It's a direct quote from it. I I was always beholding the Lord in my presence. For he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will abide in hope. Because thou will not abandon my soul in Hades, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou will make known me, or excuse me, thou will make me full of gladness with thy presence. I go right back up to verse 24 that says, it was impossible for him to be held by its power of death. It was impossible. His body was not going to experience decay. And David talked about that many years before. He understood the word of God was given through him. And he understood and knew as a prophet, he was looking for Messiah. David was. He was looking forward to the day when the, the spiritual Savior of the, of the Jews of Israel would come. He says his, his body was not going to undergo decay. He would not abandon his soul in Hades. And it's directly talking about Jesus Christ. But David knew the same was true for him as well. That because of what Christ was going to do, Although his, his physical body, David's physical body, and, and Peter talks about it in 29 there, he says, Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch, I'm quite sure of this, he says, David has both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. So he knows that, that David was buried. His physical body was buried. 
But because of salvation, he knew that David was not going to languish in hell because of what Jesus Christ had done for him. Verse 30, just as we said, so because David, he, he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to see one of his descendants upon his throne, David looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades nor of his flesh would suffer decay. This Jesus, God raised up again to which we are all witnesses. Peter says, we know that God is raised. We've seen him since he was crucified. We've seen him since he was put in the tomb. I probably mess it up because I didn't write it down, but Wearsby had a cute little quip on that. He says, the tomb was the womb of the resurrection. Where it was going to begin. This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. We've seen it. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. What did they both see and hear? What have, what have they all seen and heard? Back to the beginning of chapter 2. They've heard the gospel preached in their language, in their home lang- language, their native language, whatever you want, where they were raised. And they've seen, because they live in Jerusalem, they've seen the works of Jesus. So they heard and saw. It was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool for thy feet. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him, Christ, both Lord and Messiah. And Peter, once more, this Jesus whom you crucified, The prophets told you to look for the Messiah. The Messiah came and you didn't see him. You didn't accept him. As a matter of fact, you didn't just not see him and you didn't just not accept him. You crucified him. You killed your Savior. You and I killed our Savior because of our sin. That's why he died for us. That's why he willingly went to the cross for you and me. It was for our sin as well as their sins. Peter, he says, woe to you. Woe to you who don't accept Christ. And we're going to look next week at the result I'd, I'd, I'd preach Peter's sermon every Sunday if we got 3,000 new members every week, right? That's next week. We'll see that coming. Usually, uh, men's Bible study, we're going through the book of Daniel. And usually the week before our, our Saturday meeting is when I pull the books out and start studying Daniel again. And, and I know i got to get better at that and spread it through the whole month, but to, to just broaden and deepen that preparation time for Daniel. 
But it's just been so fun in studying Daniel to see how relevant it is to the other scriptures and where we're going. And just it just it just fits right in with this message today and going into communion. And communion was on the calendar before I was studying for this week's Daniel, okay? God has a plan, and he works. It's pretty cool. Daniel chapter 5 is what we were looking at yesterday. And, and Belshazzar was Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. And he really didn't give two pennies for God. And they're having this crazy party at the palace that's more, what do we say, more corrupt, more lewd, more disgusting than, than any king in that time would even partake of. This guy is just so over the top. So he, they're, they're deep several days into this huge party and, and Belshazzar says, go get those goblets. Go get the, the gold and the silver goblets that my grandpa brought here from the temple in Jerusalem. We're going to drink out of them tonight because their God, who those goblets they used to serve, I conquered him. We're bigger than his, their God. So we're going to drink out of those glasses tonight. So they go in to get the glasses and continue their partying, and all of a sudden there's a hand writing on the wall. There's a there's a ancient Egypt. I don't know what. How do you say it? Is is they approach death the, the way they approach it? Is that in Egypt when you die, the the feeling or the thought is that your body is taken to the judgment hall. And your heart is cut out and put on the scale. You're dead. It's not going to hurt, all right? Your, your heart is cut out and it's put on the scale. And on one side of the scale is a feather. And your heart is placed on the other scale. If, you're, if you have a good and a pure heart, the scale will stay balanced. But if you have an evil and a wicked heart, the, the, the heart obviously is going to be heavy because of its sin and, and what it's carrying. In the handwriting on the wall, one of the, the, the interpretations is God is writing to Belshazzar, you have been weighed and found wanting. There, there was no righteousness in his heart whatsoever. But God had had enough. He got to the point with Belshazzar that that was it. Enough is enough. And that very night, that very night, the Medes and the Persians came in and took over Babylon, conquered the city. That's a whole other story. That was a pretty cool thing they did to, to get into the city. But the handwriting on the wall said you have been weighed and found wanting. I think Peter could have used that line to the Jews here that he was preaching to. You have been weighed and found wanting. 
Where are we at? Where are you at? If you were to die right now, were that your heart cut out and weighed, would you be found wanting? Or would this, the, the scale stay balanced? How would Jesus find your heart today? Enough was enough. God says enough of this debauchery, enough of this sin in, in Babylon and, and with Belshazzar and his wickedness. Job 3, 31.6, I'm sorry. Job 31.6, let him weigh me with accurate scales and let God know my integrity. Can you say that before God? That one you might want to tiptoe around? In Job 12.10. 9 and 10. Well, I'm going to go back up to 7. Job 12.7. But now ask... Ask the beasts and let them teach you and the birds of the heavens and let them tell you or speak to the earth and let it teach you and let the fish of the sea declare to you who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this in whose hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. Belshazzar did not acknowledge that God held his breath in his hand and that it was God's option when enough was enough, when he was going to allow the enemy to come in and destroy him. God holds your breath in his hand. He knows the number of days, minutes, and seconds that you have. And I just find it so neat that, that the, the Holy Spirit, with the inspiration of the scriptures, that God breathed, God's breath breathed through his authors, the scriptures that we have. It's God's breath through his Holy Spirit. And he's got your breath in his hands. He's got my breath in his hands. So if your heart were to be cut out today, would you be found wanting? If, if God said enough is enough, I, I'm tired of the sin in your life. Enough is enough. Today is your day. Would you be weighed and found wanting? We know that if there is any righteousness found in us, it is only because of Jesus Christ. Nothing that we can do is righteous. But we have the privilege and the opportunity of knowing Jesus Christ. Knowing that he has a plan for your life. That he has a plan for my life. God knows you, God loves you. 
And he has a plan for you. What are you going to do with it? How are you going to be weighed? He has your breath in his hands. Father, thank you for Peter's sermon. And thank you for him not being a punch puller. (laughs) He just put it right out there and he laid it out. And Father, that's what we need to do when we preach Jesus Christ. Just make it nice and simple, as Peter did. That God has a plan for our lives. Thank you that you love us so much, Father. And as we we prepare for communion, help us to examine our hearts. To see how we would be weighed if, if today was the day that you took the last breath from us. And brought us home to you in eternity. Would, would, it, would we be with you? Not that we want to question our salvation, Father, but we know chances are pretty good. Not everybody in this room knows you and has a personal relationship with you. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would convict of sin as we come to communion to remember what you did for us. Thank you, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.